Welcome to Postscript. Uh, this is where we take a look at the previous sermon and just kind of uh, take a deeper dive into it. So we started the our series on James, Faith That Works, uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, James 1, 1 through 11. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, That's right. uh, the title of your sermon was, when we look at the notes here, what does it mean to find joy in trials and not doubt God? So again, first first series in James, um, should go over maybe into the summer, but excited about it. Yep. Um, so the very first verse that the author, um, he's identifying himself, we know it's James, he does so in a unique, a unique way. Uh, but I'd love if you could expound upon like who James is, the significance of his relationship with Jesus, and how powerful like this simple introduction is. Yeah, so James doesn't identify himself as Jesus' brother, which is pretty significant. We also know historically <clears throat> he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. John chapter seven talks about him and his you know, Jesus' brothers like thinking he's crazy. First uh, Corinthians fifteen then then hints at you know Paul hints at G- James believing Jesus' Messiah had to do with the resurrection. So he doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Obviously, that's what changed everything for him. And then James writes, at least chronologically, the first letter in our New Testament, mid-40s A.D., about 10-ish years after Jesus' resurrection. Now, James, this uh, book is predominantly influenced by Jesus and Proverbs, specifically Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so he's gonna, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit today and throughout the series. A lot of these themes are in there. And it's just, but it's just all that to say it's fascinating that he doesn't say Jesus, James, son of Jesus. He just says, James, servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know what all is going on there internally. You just be really easy. Like, listen to me because I'm Jesus' brother. But rather, listen to me because Jesus himself is authoritative, and I'm going to teach you some practical, practically what it looks like to follow him. Well, and I also think um, the fact that he's not using any type of, like, clout might not be the right word. Right. Because, you know, it, but it could be. You know, there, yeah. even back during this time, and even today, it, like, who you're associated with, mm-hmm. like, says a lot about you. Like, even if you're not of certain stature, who you know, who you're networked with, right. it's kind of like it elevates you, kind of like the gospel. Like, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, God looks at like you know, uh, you know. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> he became number one in jersey sales, <laughs> Mr. Swift. Because he, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He uh, so I think that's that's important. Like everybody knows that James is Jesus' half brother, but he's yeah. not. He's not using that. I mean, I think Paul even talks about not using eloquent of speech to yeah. per, um, persuade people. He's wanting to depend upon the Spirit. And I say, I think with this introduction, it's just more along the lines of. Hey, I'm a I'm a servant. I'm a yeah. servant first, and it also it's almost like a, a testimony, like yeah. talking like my conversion is more important than my biological relationship yeah. to him. So, yeah, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, not a brother of the Lord. I just think it's just an it's yeah. fascinating nuance there. Yeah, that, you, that, you would think he'd say brother. Yeah. I would. Yeah, this guy, he's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the first points you made uh, right off the bat was God's promises are for God's people. Uh, you went on further to clarify this by saying you don't get. I thought this was interesting. Uh, you don't get God's promises without God. Yeah. Um, this this could sting potentially because it's almost like we've talked about common grace before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what, what what do you mean by by this? Pretty much, unpack it for us. So it's helpful to know. I mean, James, you know, is writing to Christians. I mean, he says it in the first verse: to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. You know, these follow, and of course, his thing is like followers of Jesus or those in the kingdom. And uh, the New Testament is obviously. But the Gospels are about Jesus and then following Jesus. And so it's really easy for us to kind of read verses on their own, talk about God's promises or grace, redemption, forgiveness, love, and be like, isn't, isn't this awesome? But we forget that there are four God's people. Like, they are not just general, everybody gets these things no matter what. And so even the things in James, which we read, you know, some of the well-known 
parts of James we read yesterday, and, and we'll read some more, obviously. It's really easy to misunderstand them. I mean, he talks about joy in trials or joy in suffering. And it's like, that's a really encouraging thing. Like, hey, don't give up. But the joy that's found in suffering is the ability to endure and have a more complete faith in Jesus, to learn more about who God is and the God that loves you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then James talking about finding joy in suffering is not meant for you. Like, there's no joy in suffering. Now, a joy can come that maybe you meet Jesus, but if you take, like, just if this life is all that you have, suffering is like taking the time out of the remaining years you have to live. Like, it's awful. There's no joy in that. He talks about doubting and money. Just talks about all these things that we read, not just in James, but in general, that God's promises of redemption, grace, and love are not just for everyone. They are for those who know him. And, of course, knowing him, the gospel, how to do so is amazing and quite quite simple, actually. <laughs> but it's just easy to read like some of these things. Again, we talk about um, suffering, and we'll talk about money. We'll talk about a lot of things in James, a lot of practical things. But if you want the benefits of knowing God, you have to walk with God. It's not just like everything's awesome for everybody. And so, yeah, well, the first point after first verse verse was that God's promises are for God's people. Now, of course, we know in Second Peter 3, he desires that, no, that everyone comes to repentance, that no one should perish. But you can't get the things that God promises if you're not following him and knowing him personally. So you're saying we're not all... God's children, like I, that's something that's, I, yeah. In essence, like creation wise, like He created everyone, but you you hear that we're all God's children. It's like I mean, mm, you, you, no? you if you're apart from Jesus, you are not a part of the family of God. So you have the ability to be adopted in. We all have the ability to be adopted in, but you are not part of God's family. In this in this day, you know, post Jesus, if you are not in, in Jesus, yeah. you don't know Jesus, don't follow Him. Well, and I had mentioned. I, that could sting, because I do think yeah. there is, it might, I think it's been like this for a while, but um, even with social media and stuff like that, you're you're experiencing more, people have more of a platform to talk about, yeah. and so you do hear a lot of people, it's just more like, I live here, or my parents grew up this, or occasionally we went to church, or I'm a spiritual person, God created me, therefore we're, we're okay, you know, yeah. between, but I don't, James does not seem to be indicating that at all. Yeah, it's just easy to... He's, here's all the reasons why I'm good with God, other than actually knowing Jesus. Mm. So it's like, I got a family member that works at the church, or I went to church growing up, or I prayed a prayer one time. And if you want the promises of God, you got to walk with Him. You got to know Him. And so they're not just, it's just easy for us to read verses in and of themselves and be like, isn't this great? Without understanding, like, these are for the people of God. So you said, I think it was maybe the second sermon in the controversial Jesus book. You don't get God's stuff without God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I said it that way, but it sounds similar to this point. See, so we'll go with it. This is postscriptive, also yeah. unscripted. Let's go. I like the Super Bowl. I mean, that's the same uh, idea, though. Yeah. Like, you don't, the, the things that God offers to his people are only through Jesus. Yeah. And if you're not a part of God's family, then you're not going to get redemption and hope and restoration and resurrection. You don't get those yeah. on your own. Yeah. I've belabored the point. I'll move on. All right. So <laughs> um, contrast uh, the two ways one can interpret the testing of our faith. So what is it and what uh, is it not? Talking about um, verse 2, where it says the joy? Uh, yeah, it's almost like what? what's the purpose of that? Like, the testing of your faith, it's not necessarily to test that you have faith, okay, but yeah. to strengthen well, let me, that so faith. Let me say two have. things. Um, I might have jumped ahead there. Yeah, well, no, you got the questions, but it made me think of something else. So before I get to that, I want to mention just the great joy piece. Mm -hmm. So we have considered great joy. It could be um, all joy or complete joy. And I just want to emphasize yesterday um, it, the, the Greek word that we have that we have translated as great joy here, one of those variations, it 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 it, it, uh, it speaks to intensity and not exclusivity. So it's really easy to read, you know, verse two: consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, as if that's the only thing you can experience. Mm. 
And what James is saying is that this can be one of the many of oceans. It's not, it's not the only, and it's not, it doesn't have to be, not be there at all. But it's not saying if you feel anything other than joy and trials, like you're a bad Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I want to point that out. It's about, ex, it's about intensity, not exclusivity, as if it's the only emotion you can feel. Now, it's, in terms of the testing piece, um, it's important to know that, again, this is written to Christians. And so I mentioned on Sunday that testing of faith here is not to determine whether a person has faith or not. It is intended to purify faith that already exists. So it's not saying, if you're going through a trial, this is to see if you actually follow Jesus. Like we're, no, he's saying, like, your trials are, are a way to strengthen, and he talks about enduring um, and maturing in your faith. So it's not a test whether you are Christian. It's, hey, this is happening. How can this be a, an opportunity for me to grow in my faith? But it's not a... It is not a, are you a Christian or not? Now, and maybe and to that end, again, it's easy for us on our side of things to assume that this bad thing is happening to me because I did something and God is angry with me. And so I have to, like, do good to prove that I love him, yeah. which is not at all what James is talking about. Bad things happen for various reasons. Sometimes they are self-inflicted wounds, <laughs> bad decisions you made. Sometimes life is just hard. And uh, it's not a, hey, we're going to see if you're a Christian or not. It's a, hey, ne- because you're a believer, let's see how God might use this to endure or mature your faith. But that kind of flies in the face of a very popular, I guess I'd say philosophy nowadays, of if you if it if a prayer was not answered in the way you wanted it to. Like by the way, when yeah. when someone says God hasn't answered my prayer yet, it's like, no, he probably he might have. It's just a maybe right now or yeah. something like that. Where he didn't answer it or he didn't heal you because you didn't have enough faith or the right faith. Um, this is what James is not talking about. That. Right. You know, it's not right. like uh, testing your faith, trying to to uh, determine what category it's yeah. in or if it's even there's there. There's a lot of—what's challenging here is, like, there's a lot of things you could talk about when it comes to, like, suffering and stuff like that. And so James is not talking about, like, all the experiences. And all, he's just talking about in this specific way, specifically how trials can lead to a more enduring or mature faith. Now, trials can do a lot of things beyond just that. And so, you know, part of the challenge, even writing the sermon, is, like, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about suffering just in general. But here he's just talking about the angle of— Hey, stuff is going really hard, but here's the the joy that can come from it, is that you can grow and mature. And I kind of use the examples of like if you have kids or when you were a kid, um, you know, potty training, mm-hmm. not fun. When your kid transi- transitions from eating with their hands to trying to give them utensils, like it's just it's easier if you just let them use their hands. Riding a bike, whatever. You have to endure in these things, learn how to do them, so that you can be a more functioning human being. If you gave up halfway through, then your maturity mm-hmm. or your functionality uh, in society would be lessened. And so what James is saying here is your, your trials give you the ability to be more mature and complete. Uh, some translations say a more perfect faith, which I don't love that because it, in us, when we hear perfect, we, mm-hmm. we think sinless. And that's not what James is saying. He's just saying a more integrated uh, whole faith. And, of course, I mentioned, too, I think most of us, if you think of people who have a faith that you would want to emulate, have probably suffered. Mm. And because of their suffering, it's produced a faith in them that is, um, yeah, that is like, I don't know, encouraging to you or worth emulating to you. Yeah, complete or even maybe like well-rounded. Yeah, well-rounded you know, type thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned mature because um, that's the next point. Uh, so your second point um, you highlighted in this passage was this: the joy found in suffering is the opportunity for a more complete faith. I like the term opportunity that right. you use there. I think it's important. Um, so verse three uses the word mature. What does mature in this context mean? You kind of touched on that, but also yeah. what's its implication for those who who follow Jesus? Like the whole perfect thing. Like when you mention when the word is perfect. It means complete, because I think right. for me, I'm like, okay, great. What else do I have to do now <laughs> to get better than, you know? And so then it becomes just an exercise in futility at that right. point. So, Yeah, I like this idea of a more, maybe maybe the best word that I, that I think I like here is integrated. 
Mm. It's a more it's a more integrated, mature faith that you've been through things and that you've come out the other side. And there's just a yeah, there's an endurance that you've gone through. I also want to mention this too. I mentioned this on Sunday that. Again, James here is writing to Christians, and he is presenting this as the ultimate goal of trials and testing. He's not claiming that believers will always attain this goal. Mm-hmm. So this is not a, well, if I am suffering and I'm not finding joy, then I'm not a Christian. Maybe going to your previous question. That, that would not be a proper understanding here. It's just saying it's an opportunity, like the point mm-hmm. said. And you, you, some, sometimes you'll hit it, sometimes you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, uh, probably for most of us, it'll be a mixed bag. But it's not a, if, you don't, if, you're, not ex- if you're suffering right now and you're not experiencing joy, well, then you're not a Christian. He's saying, "Man, this is the ideal that we want to uh, that we want to shoot for." So uh, I forget. I wanted to mention that. I kind of forget what your question was in terms of mature. Just kind of yeah. like in this context, it's more yeah. integrated. So again, I, I know I kind of jumped the gun a little bit, but when I think of a kid who's you know not wearing diapers anymore, that's a more integrated life. Mm-hmm. Not that it's going to be like perfect and you don't have rooms to improve, but you've been with Jesus, you walk with Jesus, uh, you know that He's trustworthy and He's good, even when you have doubts and questions. Um, you still follow him. And so, yeah, just the sufferings that you go through, it just allows you to understand more of who God is and be a more well-rounded Christian, maybe for lack of a better word. Well, and I think it's, um, James is a very practical book. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we look at how to implement these things in our lives, we, we kind of, we separate them from other practical things in our life. Like if you're starting a new job hmm. and like for me, that's, could be very stressful because you don't know anything. You have to depend upon people. Right. And as you learn more and more, you you mature in that job. Um, but it's it's also more along the lines. You would never say I've perfected this job. And right. so the implication there is, you are now a resource for a lot of different people. Um, just like right. you said, like if you find someone that want you want there to be your mentor, they've mm-hmm. experienced these things, and you're going to go to them for you know many different things in your life right. because they're no you know they're well rounded, yep. they're integrated, and I. I don't want us to—the Spirit definitely enables us to depend upon the Lord for these things. But I think sometimes Scripture is not as—don't <sighs> want to be a heretic here— but it's not as much of a spiritual enlightenment type of thing. It's yeah. definitely a very practical thing, just aided by the Spirit, which is, you know, re- when Jesus ascended, He did so so that the Spirit can come down uh, and be with us always. Yeah. And so I definitely think looking at James, we've talked about— the, the Bible is wisdom literature where it's to be read mm-hmm. over and over again, contemplated, looking at different things every time you read it. But I think with the book of James, when we say practical, I still think sometimes we look at it as this, you know, heightened practicality. And I, I, th- I think it's, I don't know, it's easier than that, but I don't think it's that complex. Yeah, you so, know what I'm saying? Did well, I just... well, we talk about, you know, mention this new city, that a lot of times we, we approach scripture, an uninformed approach to scripture is a theological textbook where verses are essentially bullet points. And that when you got a question, you, what does this point say? And so it can lead to you know misunderstanding context. Uh, we say wisdom literature because it was written to a time and place and people with a specific context with specific issues. All the New Testament letters, even James, mm-hmm. there's specific things going on, which is why he's writing about specific things. And then we take the wisdom from those general principle, principles and apply it. So even principles like, you know, joy and suffering, he to make it maybe more practical or make it more a quote unquote maybe theology textbook, systematic theology textbook, whatever. Not against systematic theology, but anyway. Yeah. It's like, well, give me some examples of how to find joy and suffering. Like, so he doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, but he does, so is generally speaking, he does look like. And so the, then you and I have to consider, okay, in my current situation, that I, what, what I'm currently suffering with, what would it look like to experience the joy of growing 
closer to Jesus. And it will look different for different people at different times. And so I think sometimes that's why, I mean, there's different approaches to the Bible. Sometimes I get uncomfortable. Like, for example, this is a side note, but, you know, postscript. Um, sometimes there's debates in the Christian world about, like, the regulatory principle, which is essentially like a worship service for a Sunday morning. So maybe this, maybe this might be a good example. Uh, some people say there's different extremes of it, but, like, the most extreme, maybe that's not the appro- most appropriate word, but whatever, is, like, you can only do anything in a worship service that the, they do in the Bible. So you only can sing psalms because those are the only ones, you know, actually inspired by God. You don't use instruments because there's no, maybe you can use a harp, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, you can't use guitars. Um, you know, communion has to be served, this, whatever. And um, it has to be a feast and not like a cracker or whatever. And then there's more loose. Uh, for, so, for example, for me, like, I would not hold to the regulatory. And I'm not saying, there's really wise people that would argue that. I wouldn't hold to the regulatory principle of what a Christian worship service has to look like because I don't think that was the point mm. of the, let's say, the New Testament. And, and because cultures can be so much different. Like, people talk about, well, in the early church, they didn't own buildings, and they were all in houses. Well, also, they couldn't own buildings. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't know what they would have done. Like, yeah, they didn't live stream their service in their church. Well, they couldn't live stream the service. So yeah. we don't know what they would have done. Um, so I'm not, like, I'm not against house churches, mm-hmm. but it's like, mm-hmm. they, like, <laughs> you, you don't know. And so I, so I use maybe that to say, like, so you can look at the Bible in such a way, like, unless it says this specific thing, then, like, whatever. Or it's like wisdom, generally speaking. We want to make sure we're honor, like, on a Sunday morning, honoring Jesus. We want to sing to him. Community might look different. We can disagree on how, how, how to do that or how often to practice it or how long the sermon should yeah. be or whatever. But to me, I'm like, well, what's the wisdom in our cultural context? Now, of course, you can go too extreme with that and, like, it, and not do anything or, or whatever. Um, but for this, it's kind of more like, here's what he's generally saying. Sometimes he'll hit specific examples. But try to, like, what's the wisdom that I can apply, apply to my life? I don't know if that's kind of helpful, but I wanted to mention that, like, I think that's an unhelpful way to look at Scripture. Like, every verse is a, a standalone bullet point. Because when you view that, there's a lot of bullet points missing. In yeah. the sense of, like, we face a lot of things that the Scripture doesn't specifically say to. And so the point is, what is the wisdom ethic behind this, not, like, this specific situation? What do I do? Yeah, no, I think it's, that's that's super helpful because, like, we'll learn more in the book of James yeah. of... Uh, about favoritism and stuff like that, and, and some of the things he's using is talking about eating at the banquet table and the crumbs. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. only, only person eating crumbs is our, our, you know, your dog or your right. pet. So, like, that doesn't make sense. But it, it makes me think, too, maybe I know kind of going along on this, like I, with, with, with our kids or with Christina and our kids. Um, our big thing for them is trying to make, and we say this at New City, like, what would Jesus do if he were me? Like, if you were my gender, my job, like, and you could be wrong, like, to the best of my knowledge and ability, what would Jesus do if he were me? I think that's a good question to ask. For their kids, like, our thing is more so wisdom than right and wrong. So, like, when it comes to, quote-unquote, bad words, like, with our kids, and, and like, this is how we do it, Mm. we don't say there are bad words. We say it's unwise or unkind, because Mm. there are, the the good bad word thing might be obvious. Well, like, I should, I shouldn't say this four-letter word or this four-letter word, but there are so many times in life where the good and bad choice is not obvious. Mm. And so, like, with our kids, I mean, we don't use coarse language at our house, so, you know, we don't have, like, one stand or whatever, but they hear it all the time, they hear it on TV, other people over, whatever, like, and we d- we don't shelter them at all, like, honestly, I could not care less <laughs> what language user are my children, I could not care less, yeah. because we have conversations of, here, we don't use this word, and we're, like, we'll say the words with our kids, yeah. because it is unkind, or it is unwise, so it's not so much even with our kids, right and wrong, although I certainly believe in right and wrong, but it's what's wise and what's unwise, because there are times where it's, like, you're not quite sure, and if the framework is always black and white and you're in a brand new situation, then you can become paralyzed with like, oh, what do I do? As opposed to, okay, to the best of my knowledgeability, like what is the most kind and loving, Jesus-honoring thing I could do? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a better approach, all I have to say, to Scripture and to James, is to generally speaking, what is the most wise and God-honoring thing I could do? Not necessarily this is right and this is wrong, because situations can be—I I would say this— <clears throat> 
two people can face the exact same situation, and the quote unquote right thing to do could be different. Different. Yeah. On based on a whole whole source of sources. Now, not always. Like mm-hmm. some things are just always sin. But anyway, I said a lot. Yeah. No, it's <clears> it's the, the reason I think that is a lot of people. A lot of people want the other. They want the bulletproofs. They actually might enjoy that theological approach because it's almost like the Bible's telling them exactly what to do, and a lot of times it, it enables you not to spend time in prayer about yeah. it because it's like, oh, God's Word is us talking, Him talking to us, and so it says this here. But it is difficult to find that balance. It is mm-hmm. difficult, you know, to, like, look at your kids and explain those words. You're like, what's, what was the unkind, or was it kind, was it wise, that type right. of thing? Because it's difficult. It's hard. Right. They're going to mess up. They're going to get hurt. Um, but you look at trials. Yeah. Trials are hard. They're difficult, but yeah. the purpose of them is is to grow our to grow our faith. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a good example. Yeah. I like that example. Um, okay, so you spent some extra time talking about the word double minded. Um, so, yeah, this is this in your point that you made with this, I thought was interesting because I had to take pause with it and really think about like on on face value, it's like really. Yeah. Uh, but as you you know, I definitely want to give you time to explain that. So. Um, in fact, a few verses before verse 8 talk about the idea of doubt in the Christian life. At first glance, uh, one may think if they ever doubt God or something about the relationship with Him, they're, they're in deep trouble. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I doubted Him. I'm going to doubt my salvation. He's going to cause my team to, to lose sports. or right. something. That was my mindset growing up, <laughs> which is bad. Um, so succinctly clarify this in your next point. But if, if, you'd, if we'd like to claw a little more into what double-minded is right. and how it's separate from doubt— yeah, so the first part, you know, verse 2, Jesus, James talks about um, the joy in trials, and so if somebody can like, kind of, even with good intentions, throw it in your face, like, you should be happy. And it's like, no, James is not saying joy is the only experience. Yeah. This is also hard because he talks about uh, praying to God, and then he says, verse 7, you know, um, I'll just read it. Verse 5, now, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God, gives generously to all, generously and ungrudgingly, which I think ungrudgingly is just a great mental picture, mm. because I think we often think it's the opposite. And it will be given to him, verse 6, but uh, let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surge and sea blown tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So we read, ask, and this is, again, echoes of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, ask, see, receive, knock, you know, whatever, whatever. Pray, God answer your prayers, um, according to his will. So we love that, but then, then, then it says, don't be double-minded, or don't, be, don't doubt. Because if you doubt, you're double-minded and unstable. And we're like, well, we all doubt. Yeah. Like, every single one of us doubts. And so I think it's helpful just to understand um, maybe the nuance of what is going on here. Um, basically, long story short, I want to do the whole thing again, but in Matthew and in James, the opposite of believing is said to be doubting. And the implication you get from the Greek word that we have translated doubting here is disputing with oneself. So saying one thing, like going back and forth in more maybe extreme ways. And it's suggestive of a strong type of doubting and an inconsistent attitude toward God. That's really the main thing, inconsistent. So what this is not, so I talked about Romans 4 where Paul, verse 20, says he did not waver in unbelief, which is the same word that Paul, that James uses as doubted. is the same Greek word. And, and Paul is talking about Abraham, did not waver in his unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Paul is talking about how when God promised Abraham to make him a great nation. Now, if you read Genesis and Paul you know, didn't just read it, he had it memorized, so he knows, about, knows the story better, stories better than us. You see Abraham, like, did, it seems to waver a ton. <laughs> yeah. Made a lot of poor decisions with Sarah. Him and Sarah then decide to, like, impregnate Sarah's servant or slave because their kid wasn't coming. And so you could read that and be like, well, 
be doubted. And so I think, I think what Paul's point here and James' point here is not that Abraham never doubted God, but if you read the overarching arc of his life, even in the midst of some poor decisions, he still like, was following him. Like, he never like, rejected God and said, I'm going on my own way. Now, he had questions, sometimes questionable decisions, but he just never was like, man, I'm done with this. I'm doing my own thing. And so if, if we understand that maybe more holistically, I would, I would argue that James is not claiming that prayers will never be answered if you have any degree of doubt but rather he wants us that God responds to us when our lives reflect a basic consistency of purpose and intent, going back to the spiritual integrity mm-hmm. there. So it's not, I'll just say, this is an extreme example I give on Sunday, but I think it's helpful. It is not praying for something, not getting it, so then you consult a Ouija board, and then it's still not working out, so then you consult horoscopes, which uh, we can talk about on another podcast, how Brian used to write some horoscopes. Yep. <laughs> and so we'll talk about it later. Sure. Um, <laughs> so that didn't work out. And then, so then you go back to God again, you try, try the Jesus thing a while, but then you go to a palm reader, and then you maybe chant some incantations and go on a spiritual sweat retreat in some teepee hut in the Midwest of, you know, in Arizona or wherever you go, right? Or like do some new enlightenment thing. Um, that is double-minded. Seeking God, searching this thing, searching this thing, the latter is not. And by the latter, I mean, I'm praying for this. God, I'm not sure you can do it. God, I'm having a hard time with this. God, I have doubts, but consistently showing up. That is not double-minded. That is kind of the Abraham example of, now yeah, you might make some bad decisions, but you haven't like completely turned your back on God. And so maybe to summarize it, what I said on Sunday is that there is a way to doubt God faithfully and unfaithfully. Now, some people might be uncomfortable, like you can't doubt God at all. I, I'm comfortable with this saying mm. this this way, this way. There is a way to doubt God faithfully. God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to show up. And I talked about, I'm not going to do it here. It's too long with a screw tape letter to give the example. But I did say this on Sunday, that some people there, maybe maybe some people watching this right now, you are being dangerously faithful in the sense of like, you, you're not sure, you're doubting, but you're still showing up. You're still showing up. Um, and so I mean, the very fact that you're still engaging with God means you're, is evidence of an enduring faith, not a double-minded one. Because trials are hard. And so when all that is like, when he's, when he's talking about being, being double-minded, I would argue it's not that you can't ever have doubts. What he's being double-minded is, like, if you're always chasing the new thing, that is what is being blown and tossed by the sea and the wind. Not like, I'm upset with God, God, I'm not sure, but I'm still wrestling with God. That's different than, like, well, screw you, God. I'm searching this thing for, th- for three months. I'm doing this for a year. and I come back. Now, in God's grace, he will always accept yes, the sin. Yes. And there's always grace and forgiveness. But that is being double-minded. So James is cautioning us against us. Basically saying, man, don't give up. Keep going. If you're pursuing the Lord in the midst of your doubts, I would argue that is a way to faithfully doubt God. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's and that was the one point that was like, okay, a faithfully there's a way to faithfully doubt God. I mean, there's it's, just I mean, there's people are at our church going through cancer or have family members are going through cancer. Just, there's just a lot of just like awfully difficult, hard stuff. So one of the hard things, uh, you know, being a pastor's privilege. One of the hard thing is like there's always multiple things that I am aware of going on. That's like really heavy with our people. And there's people there that like you could read James and feel like I'm a failure, mm. and I would say if you if you read James in the Bible holistically, you you can't come to that conclusion. Man, you're you are doing your best to remain faithful where God has you, and the fact that you're doing your best and still showing up means I would argue that you are not being double minded. Well, I would I would even say that with with this passage about not being double minded, it's also like a uh, a litmus test to a certain extent yeah. where you can I always look back in times in my life where it's like okay. As I was more mature in my faith, now where I'm at now, am I doubting less? I'd say on a whole, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, of course. And I think the biggest thing you see with Abraham is there was always progress forward. Yeah, you know, if you look back, you know, he's still making bad decisions. I, st- I mean, you could still make a, a bad, you could even make a bad decision and just like, wow, you know, I'm, I've been a believer this long, or I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a bonehead for making that decision. Yeah. But you, you doubted God, but it, it's not. It's more of this. 
I don't know. I don't know what it is. It just reminds me of those little things on the train tracks where there's two people on each side and one pushes down, the other pushes up, and oh, it just yeah, kind of yeah. keeps going on the track. Yeah. Um. So like you're you're moving, you're inching forward. Where being double minded was be like on the track, off the track, yeah. on that track. Exactly. So it's just like it's going a, a completely other direction. Yeah. Is is I think a better understanding than like, I'm not really sure. I made a poor decision here. It's like no, I'm like I'm going backwards, or I'm like going instead of going to New York, I'm going to. Los Angeles or something like that, just yeah. completely other, different direction. Yeah. I, I even remember asking um, a professor. He asked a question, and so I I didn't ask him. He asked me, and the answer that I gave was like, "How can you doubt which is not there?" And now that sounds cute and everything, but you know sometimes it is being double minded, going back and forth. Like you don't have any stability. You you don't have a right. position you stand. So it's like, what is there to doubt? But then as right. you're growing with Christ, it's like you know there's something there. You know that He's impacting you, and you've dedicated your life to Him, and so. You can't doubt something that's not that's not there. Anyway, I don't know if that's right. helpful, but it's helpful for me at that <laughs> yeah. time of my life. And so, even if it's just helpful for one person, um, it helped me. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you've given examples of you know how to be faithful to God, doubt, doubt God faithfully and unfaithfully. So, um, faithfully is that what I said? I don't know. I think it's it faithfully. Yeah, so yeah. faithfully, it's a new word. <laughs> uh, all right. So, last thing here, kind of closing up uh, your fa- your your last point that you made, and we entered into the um, what we're trying to emphasize more and more is just just gospel saying like here's here's this more evangelistic approaches here is uh jesus alone is where we find joy so what's the importance of this word alone here um surely we can find joy in other things i think you've mentioned that uh what's the driving point of this idea and how um have we or can we see this played out yeah so in the first 11 verses that we read talks about doubting so joy and trials doubting and then he talks about money a little bit as well which I think is also it got these kind of seem like not connected points, but I th- I think they they still are because mm-hmm. even money can lead to double mindedness, can lead to like pursuing my own thing, doing my own thing, not trusting the Lord. And so, um, yeah, last point was uh, Jesus alone was where we can find joy. I think that's what J- James' driving purpose is like: honor the Lord and follow Jesus and follow in the way of Jesus. Not because, as we might assume, that it's restrictive or boring, because that's where freedom is found. Like, I think when Jesus says, it is for freedom that you've been set free, and maybe he's using the same word there, so it's kind of confusing. But I I like the way I think of it is like this, like, not being enslaved to sin is freedom. Not having to look at pornography, um, not having to speak negatively about someone to make yourself feel better or to join in on, like, gossip, you know, office gossip. Not having to, and I'm not against, like, obviously fashion or whatever, because we all are. Even people that are like, I don't care about that. Yes, you do, because you, you still dress like your society dresses. Like, we're all... So I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying, like, not being so obsessive about every single thing that you wear, the way you look, or, like, you'll take 13 pictures for one Instagram post, and you'll post it, and then in 10 minutes, if there's not enough likes, you'll delete it and post another one. Like, yeah. that is that that is enslaving. Mm-hmm. And our world says, you know, just follow your hearts, man. That Your, your heart will put you in jail and never let you out. Because you're, there's always... We say at New City, man... If you're in Christ, you've got nothing to prove and not to impress. Like, that's freedom. And so the joy, I think, in this, of like of following Jesus in trials and not switching, you know, going to these other things, like trusting Him financially and these other things that we'll find, is like that will lead us to joy. Now, I, you know, sometimes it's hard. You can't nuance everything to death. I'm not—maybe maybe alone—honestly, maybe Jesus is where we find joy would have been better than Jesus alone, because you can find joy in things that are not Jesus-related. Um, not in a maybe eschatological or like— 
in the ultimate sense, because one day in God's kingdom we will have all joy, peace, and it's because we'll be in His presence where everything will made will be will be remade new and things will be like the Eden Garden like state in the new city. But man, the stuff that we're searching for, man, it can be found it can be found in Jesus, and I not, may not fi- be found fully in this life, mm. but in the life to come where we're going to spend eternity. It's going to be full of joy. I mean, that, that'll be like the number one descriptor, descriptor, not in all these things that we're after, that we're chasing. And so Jesus rescues us, and so a response, we can live in freedom and do these things and find joy in Him. Well, I, th- I think when you know, emphasize Jesus alone is where we find joy. Like, there's, I think there's two different parts to that. Like you explained, like alone, I think was used um, as you explained it is eschatological, like, or or even just the, the joy that James is talking about. Like, you obviously don't feel. Uh, happy, like so. Yeah. I think happiness and joy is like ha- happiness is a very temporal, purely based on you know the butterflies or the dopamine or whatever like that. Joy is more of that that peace. I think it's more of a, a constant state that we that we live in. So only Jesus can bring that constant state of joy. You yeah. know uh, that we will totally experience uh, in heaven when we are him new earth, you know, new heavens, new earth. Um, but then at the same time, we can find joy in other things, and I think that's also a blessing from yeah. God. So you think about all types of joy, whether it's eternal or temporary, do come from the hand of God. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I don't have a problem with the term alone here, just to let you know. Good, I thank you. Check. Yes. I was not so, sleeping last night. Yeah. I was like, gosh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> You're like, you, you preached yesterday, you look back at me, you're like, okay, it's good. It's good. So, yeah, I looked back at Brian when he put my point up too soon. That's yeah, see... Okay. No, it was I his, pr- his elbow hit it. I, yeah, I pride myself on doing good. What's can I? I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard because, um, like if somebody puts up a point too too early or whatever, sometimes I'll make a note. I'll say something to the person on the screen, like "Hey, go back," or like if I say something and they haven't put the point up, I'll say like "Hey, can you put it up?" Mm-hmm. And it's not because I want the slides to be perfect. I don't think anybody cares about this, but because if somebody's not paying attention on the screens, which was well, not what you happened for you, it just got hit and you were messing with the lights with Ryan. You guys, yeah, yeah, I was trying to figure something out. Yeah, um, there was some that, like, but like blinking. <laughs> if somebody misses the point. Then I'm going to keep going, and they're they're going to be lost. And yeah. the people that write in the fill in the blanks, like it's just it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. So whenever I if I sometimes say, "Hey, you can go to the next slide," or "Hey, go back," it's not because it's like, you know, I don't. Someone's seen the point before. I just I can, it can very easily get off track and be very confusing. I've I've so. written a resignation later a couple times. <laughs> Every time I mess up, I'm like, oh my god. Listen, I, we say at New City, there's plenty of grace here as long as you don't mess up. As long as you don't mess up, as long just ask Brian to fix it. That's it's right. Broken. It's, it's my it. second favorite saying other than we're not a cult, you just can't leave. You just can't leave. So. But it is it is true though, because you don't want to you might especially look, let's be honest. There are points in your sermon that you find more impacting than others. Yeah. Yeah, there are times where it's like, okay, this I, I'm not that you're proud like I figured this out, but like, oh, this was great that the Lord revealed this to me, or I stumbled upon this in my studies. And so you want nothing's worse than putting everything together, you've got all these different pieces together, and then that one point that drives it home, and they miss it. Yeah. And that's where technology can be awesome, but also very frustrating. Now, the worst is when, like, if I'll go speak at Crew or something like that, I'll go somewhere else, and, like, honestly, I'd rather them pretty much not do points or screens because they can just not pay attention. Yeah. Or, like, sometimes I'll have a joke or, like, a picture. Like, if I go at Crew, for example, because I speak there, like, twice a year, I always, like, Todd, who's, like, the guy who runs it at NC State... It's like a, like a running thing now. Like I always have a, a joke with him. Like I have like last time I had his face plastered on the rock, like Dwayne the Rock Rockson. <laughs> and the joke was so good. And I talked through like the college student beforehand. I was like, I'll tell you when. He put it up like thirty seconds before the puck. <laughs> it was so deflating. Like it was. I was like, man, I wish to just not have. I should not. Just don't 
put it. Let me just talk about now, it. You're gonna have to bring like a like a slide person with you. And I print like <laughs> on Sunday morning, like I print my notes for the screens yes. person. Just as another thing, I I brought it. This is the last time I spoke there. I brought the crew there, and I said I even like wrote down like wait for my cue. <laughs> I told him, and he still. And I was like, this was. It would have been better not to have anything. Oh god! Oh, I totally killed it. his girlfriend and just was yeah. like, oh, okay. oh, I totally killed it in a bad way. But yeah, anyway, it's all about Dylan. Jesus uh, alone is where we can find joy. Yeah, I'll so. let it say. Yeah. So awesome. Next week we're actually going to talk about. Um, some of these trials, like what, you know, why, why in the world do trials have? Like, couldn't Jesus or couldn't God do this a different way? Yeah. So we're going to kind of dive into that next week. So this was Postscript, uh, first uh, week of James. And yep. uh, you can find us on any of your podcast players as well as our New City uh, YouTube page. And we will see you next time. Later days. Hey, thanks so much for checking out this video. We upload new videos every week to help encourage you in your faith in Jesus. So be sure to subscribe to this channel so that you never miss a thing.